Our Heavenly Father, Lord, it's such a privilege to call you Father today. Lord, we ask that you would shine your sunshine into our souls. Lord, we need a blessing from you today. We need to be revived so that we can revive and help others with the same blessings wherewith we ourselves are comforted. And so, Lord, please comfort our hearts with your Holy Spirit. This morning, we ask for forgiveness of sin. And Lord, we lift up the mighty argument that it is Christ that died, yea, that is risen again. And we ask for all the blessings that he himself deserves to be applied to our account. Lord, bless your church, bless your leaders. Be with us as we open your word this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This picture that you see was taken in Central California. And Central California is a very beautiful area. Actually, it was, uh, must be early in the morning. It's actually more towards northern, it's the beginning of northern California. So right at the top of central and the beginning of northern. And it is a beautiful place, uh, very arid, climate, dry. If you get in the, sh- in the shade, then it's no longer hot. And I went out hiking one day and I was praying and seeking the Lord. I stopped on the trail and there was a blue sky above me and I bent down and I really sought the Lord because I needed help with something and and the Lord listens to our prayers. And so whenever I have a problem, I try to go out in nature and just talk to God. And so I was out there and I was praying for an extended amount of time and I was bowed low on the trail and I looked up and I saw some birds and the birds were were circling. And I looked up and it took me a little bit to comprehend, just like it took you a little bit to comprehend it, what exactly was happening here. While I was bowed low on the trail, I looked like my life was expiring. And they were getting hungry. And so their instincts were kicking in and they were, they were waiting to make sure that there was no more movement. And I disappointed their hopes by getting up and walking away in the strength of the Lord. (laughs) Jesus said that whoever will seek to save his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And when we take the attitude of total surrender, and that's what prayer is, that's when we bow low before God, that's the position of total surrender. And that is actually the most powerful position that we can be in because we're acknowledging that God is in control and if God be for us, then who can be against us? We need to learn the lesson that it's not my will that matters. The prayer of Jesus, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt, that we would surrender everything to God and we would just take his promises for what they are, take his instructions and his rebukes and Die to ourselves and say, live out thy life within me, O Jesus, King of kings. Having him be a part of us. So, uh, the Bible says that his strength is made perfect in weakness. There's nothing apparently more helpless. Yet, how does it go? Yet really more invincible than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly upon the Savior. When we realize that we need Jesus oh so much, 
then we are in a position. We qualify. If you want to know how to qualify for revival, <clears throat> it is realizing your great need. That is what stands in the way of Laodicea being revived, is Laodicea thinks that all is well and they are rich and increased with goods. Laodicea was a uh, merchant uh, city, a trade city on, on the route between uh, very, uh, I should say, sea, seaport cities was between those routes and they had so much money that when they had a, a terrible earthquake devastate them, they refused any help from Rome and they rebuilt it themselves. And they actually, they sent large amounts of gold, the Jews that lived there to the temple in Jerusalem, a very wealthy city. In fact, the manual for ophthalmology, also scientifically, they were very advanced. The manual for ophthalmology, for eye uh, cure at that time, was written by a man who was a Laodicean. And so where it says you are actually blind, it's very significant. Where he says where you are very poor and miserable, it's very significant. And so we, we live in the most prosperous here division of the world. We have 13 different divisions of the general conference, and we are in the NAD. The North American division. We have the most money. We have the most science. We have the greatest medical school. And yet, the message to the Laodiceans comes directly to us. You are actually wretched. You're miserable. You're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. That's startling, but it's the truth. And God wants us to realize our soul poverty and to be transformed. We have a, a mighty struggle ahead that we need to prepare for. Jacob's struggle, and we need to have the faith of Jacob. In Genesis 32, 26, Jacob says to Christ's request, let me go for the day breaks. Jacob says, I will not let you go. I will not let you go. And we need to pursue this remedy that the true witness, the faithful and true witness, the Amen offers to Laodicea. We should pursue it until we see it. Now, how will we know when, we, when we're revived? We'll know. We'll know. God has ways of communicating <laughs> with His church. And it will be so, if you're not sure, then you haven't been. We will know. And we need to pursue until that happens. Alas, for that day is great. A day is coming in Jeremiah chapter 30. So that none is like it. This is also referred to in, by the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 12. Time of trouble, such as never was. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. It says, At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. So he's on our side. Amen? Amen. We have a mediator. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. So, so that none is like it. The same time spoken of in Jeremiah 30 was talked about in Daniel chapter 12. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Notice verse 3 says, They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. It is not enough just to be delivered from this trouble. We want to be 
agents of God's Spirit to minister to others, and this is the primary purpose for revival. When we ask for bread to give to our neighbors, it is then that Jesus starts multiplying the loaves. When we ask for power to speak to His glory, it is then that He gives us the gift of many tongues. When we ask for ability to heal the hurts and the sorrows of those around us and to participate in the medical missionary work, it is then that He improves our intellect and gives us the gift of healing. The gifts are for service in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And they all should be experienced and they are they're absolutely valid until Jesus comes. And so we need to be praying for this power, this revival for the purpose of sharing with others. And God will be delighted to do that so that we can bring or turn many to righteousness. That's the Elijah message. Hear me, O Lord, that this people may know that Thou art the Lord and that I have done all these things according to Your Word and Thou, Elijah prayed, hast what? Turned their hearts back again. Those that be wise shall shine. Those that turn many to righteousness. Those that are part of the Elijah movement will shine. But there's a great day of trouble coming before that. There is going to be tribulation and we're told uh, about this sighing and this crying and the difficulty that we will experience at the end of time in Ezekiel chapter 9 as well, verse 4. So Jeremiah 30 talks about how we will be saved out of Jacob's trouble. We will go through this agonizing wrestling with God where we will hold on to the promises. And then in Ezekiel chapter 9, it talks about iniquity in God's church that corresponds with the sealing. So the Lord said unto him, go through the midst of the city to the angel through the midst of Jerusalem and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. So preparatory to the great time of trouble, there is a sighing and a crying of God's people for the iniquity that is among us. This group turns out to be the 144,000 and if you're waiting for me to pronounce whether or not it's a numerical exact value or symbolic, then you'll keep waiting because I don't know and it doesn't really matter today. What matters is that we are part of this number. And so 144,000, they are sealed and Revelation 14 says that they are sealed in their foreheads. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Revelation 14. This is the group that is also spoken of in Ezekiel chapter 9. Verse 1, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. It is possible for us to have the character of God. Not by our own strength, but by His Spirit writing His law upon our hearts. Friends, this is the new covenant. Anybody that says that by the power of God's Spirit that we cannot keep God's law 
is engaging in an exercise of futility, proclaiming the law of God before the world as spoken of in this chapter in Revelation 14, fear God and give glory to Him, referring to the fourth commandment, why on earth would we proclaim a law that cannot be by God's grace kept? It does not make any sense whatsoever. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the new covenant. That's the point of Jesus dying is so that we can be made in His image. As many as received Him, to them gave He power, authority to become the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? Romans 8, 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And the Spirit never leads us into temptation, being led into sin. We never, ever are led by the Holy Spirit to rebel against God. And so God wants to make His character be written in our hearts and in our foreheads. This is His name, His character, His glory. And this is actually what was talked about in Genesis chapter 3, the first messianic prophecy in verse 15. God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between thee, the serpent, and the woman. And we see that in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. The dragon was wroth with the woman. Why was he wroth? Because she kept the commandments of God and had the testimony of Jesus Christ, the spirit of prophecy. The remnant of her seed have the new covenant experience of having enmity placed between the heart of man and the serpent. Paul said this, he said, He said, the carnal heart is enmity against God. The carnal, the natural heart, the carnal, the fleshly heart. That's what cadne means in Latin, flesh, like carnivorous or carnivore. The carnal heart, the one that we're born with, the carnal heart is what against God? Enmity against God. And Paul says, furthermore, it is what? Not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Praise God, we can have a heart transplant. Amen. And so naturally we have enmity against God, but God said, no, instead of enmity against me, I'm going to put enmity against the devil. I'm going to make you hate evil and love the good. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit to turn the drunkard and the drug addict to be a sober person. I used to be a drug addict. My greatest goal was to try some new drug and to, to live just completely, you know, high off, off chemicals. But now I'm getting high off the most high. And it is, you know, when I look back, I went to school here. They didn't let me back for my senior year. And I wouldn't have let me back either. Uh, you know, God has the power to transform our lives. And yes, sanctification is the work of a lifetime. Yes, He continually reveals to us. And yet, when we become Christians, He changes our hearts so that we do not anymore participate in willful sin. There are enough unknown things that we do that are wrong in our lives uh, that we can not lay claim right now to being perfect. Amen? And yet, we do not continue in hatred against Jesus and His law by willfully, willfully committing sin. Now this 
right here, this experience of having his father's name written in our foreheads is a very special process of the sealing and the culmination of the great controversy where he finishes his new covenant and he seals his people. Why? Because they sigh and cry over evil and they have had that, in, that enmity implanted in them by the Holy Spirit. They've received the mind of Christ. Friends, it is not easy to tread the path of Christ, but there's no other way that is truly easier. It is challenging to live in a world that is totally contradictory to what you, you profess and what you believe. And yet, Jesus, it says in Hebrews 5, 8, and 9, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that disobey him. No, all them that obey him. And so this group of people in Revelation 14, Revelation 7, that are sealed in their foreheads are those that sigh and that cry. The same group is talked about in Joel chapter 2. Here's the invitation. Please go with me to the prophet Joel after Daniel, Hosea, and then Joel. Joel chapter 2, we'll start actually in verse 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord cometh for it is nigh at hand. Laodicea needs a trumpet. Laodicea is asleep in her sins. We are the people of the judgment. We don't even know what God requires of us because we haven't listened to the straight testimony. I remember when I started to read the second volume of the testimonies. I went through seminary. I never read a single volume from the testimonies in seminary. They're the testimonies for the church and you would think that people that... Our leaders in the church should know what God thinks about how the church should be. And I never read them. And so I started to read them afterwards. And when I got, I mean, I was just brought to my knees as I read about the revival in, chapter, in, in the first uh, book, in, in, in volume one, in the early church. And I was so challenged. You would hear in church often the voice of weeping mingled with the sound of rejoicing as people were repenting and receiving salvation. They had something called the anxious seat yes. in the front where people that needed the prayers of God's people would come and they would sit down and they would realize that their soul was in the balance, that God was calling them to repentance. And then everybody would be praying for those that were in the anxious seats. Sure. And the amazed, sometimes they couldn't even go home. You read it in volume one. They could not go home. They did not have the strength to go home. Volume two. There's a chapter in there at the beginning called Doing for Christ. And it says some things that I never imagined. It says, when you've raised your own kids, don't think that your child raising days are necessarily over says, there are children everywhere that need fathers and mothers in Israel. And I'm reading things that are bringing me to my knees. I don't even realize what I lack because I haven't listened to the straight testimony. 
myself. And so Laodicea needs a trumpet. And there, verse 2, a day is coming of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. The day of God is not going to be well for the Laodiceans unless we receive of the true witness His rebukes. Them that I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, verse 12, Therefore, also now saith the Lord, Turn ye, the language of Elijah, amen? Turn ye even to me with all your heart. Friends, are we Seventh-day Adventists? Are we truly Seventh-day Adventists? It's time to make a decision. Either we're following the world or we're following the Lord that has led this movement. And God is at the head. Our president is Jesus Christ. Amen. We have a church order. The voice, the greatest voice in this church is the general conference session as we are led by Jesus. And Jesus has a protective measure in that arrangement so, because He has a people. There are 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. And God has a safety mechanism in this church. Elder Ted Wilson does not make the decisions in this church. But it is his responsibility before God to uphold the decisions that are made by this church. We have Jesus as our president. He is the leader and it is time for us to say, are we Seventh-day Adventists? And if so then let's follow the Lord. Let's do what is right. Let us have decency and order in all things. In all things. We need to turn again to the Lord with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Verse 13, Rend your heart and not your garments. Turn unto the Lord your God. Elijah, turn for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth Him of the evil. Revelation chapter 3 says, Them that I love I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent, or I will spew you out of my mouth. Laodicea is the, the people of the judgment. People of the judgment. But then in the same chapter it says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in His throne. What mercy is this? That God would take the people of whom He can say nothing good. Revelation 3 has nothing good said about Laodicea. We are poor. We are miserable. We are wretched. We are blind. We are naked. We have all the advantages. We have everything that our hearts could desire to finish God's work, and yet we have not fulfilled the conditions. We have not sought the Lord humbly with all of our hearts. We have not put away the world. We have despised the messenger that He has sent. We have neglected it. The books have stayed with packaging on them on the shelves. And yet, in the context of this gross irresponsibility 
with the precious accumulated light of the past 2,000 years, an entire Bible, the writings of the spirit of prophecy, everything instantly accessible on our cell phones. God, in His threatenings, mixes amazing mercy that you will sit with me on my throne if you listen to what I have to say right now. His mercy and His graciousness, His slowness to anger, His great kindness is magnificent. He will repent him of the evil. And so blow the trumpet again in verse 15. Sanctify what? A fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing children. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. We'll talk about the ministers later if we have time today. It's very important. The Elijah message specifically is directed to the ministers of our church. Revelation 3 is to the angels of the churches and specifically the Laodicean message as well. Unto the angel, the minister, the star, the leader of the the messenger of the church of the Laodiceans write these things. Let the ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? And friends, that is why we seek revival. Not so that we can be seen, but so that God can be seen. So that God works through us, so that He establishes our church, so that He every place where the soles of our foot rest, His name is lifted up and glorified. I read a quote, uh, or I read a, a portion of our first testimonies. Amazing. She talks to ministers and she says this. She says, stop complaining. You don't have anything to complain about. She says this. She says, you have truth that is so powerful, you can stand up anywhere you go and the truth will gain the victory. We have a mission and yet, you think about the vast cities of this planet that don't have any single testament to the three angels' messages or memorial built of God's seventh-day Sabbath. We have whole countries that hardly have any representation. Parts of the world that need missionaries. So where are they? Where are the Spirit-filled missionaries, like in the book of Acts? We need God to be lifted up. We need a revival. We need a reformation. Why should they say among the people, where is our God? The shaking is talked about in Testimonies, Volume 1. Starting with page 179, November 20, 1857. She says, I was shown the people of God and saw them mightily shaken. Some with strong faith and agonizing cries were pleading with God. Their countenances were pale and marked with deep anxiety, expressive of their internal struggle. Firmness and great earnestness were expressed in their countenances, while large drops of perspiration fell from their foreheads. Now and then their faces would light up with the marks of God's approbation, and again the same solemn, earnest, anxious look would settle upon them. Friends, it is not time for the entertainment of the world. It is not time for sinful indulgence. It is time for us to be seeking the Lord as we have never sought Him before. Mm -hmm. 
not because God doesn't want us to be joyful, but before we receive the refreshing of the latter rain, we need to blow the trumpet in Zion to proclaim a fast, to let the ministers weep between the porch and the altar. And we need to repent of our unchristlikeness and how we have not been who we should be. And again, the same solemn, earnest, anxious look would settle upon them. We're living in the day of judgment. Evil angels crowded around them, pressing their darkness upon them to shut out Jesus from their view. We need to remember the promises of God. Amen? That their eyes might be drawn to the darkness that surrounded them, and they distrust God and next murmur against Him. Their only safety was in keeping their eyes directed upward. That's why I started the seminar saying we need to stay positive. God is going to bring this ship through. He's going to take every single sincere person who's seeking after Him, no matter what our past has been, no matter our genetic makeup, no matter how educated we are or no matter how uneducated we are, God can still bring us through. Their only safety was in keeping their eyes directed upward. Angels of God had charge over His people, and as the poisonous atmosphere from the evil angels was pressed around these anxious ones, the heavenly angels, praise the Lord, were continually wafting their wings over them to scatter the thick darkness. Now, those that do not, those that do not sigh and cry and receive the Elijah message, when it is given, will lose that presence. Some did not participate in this work of agonizing and pleading. They seemed indifferent and careless. They were not resisting the darkness around them. And it shut them in like a thick cloud. The angels of God left these, and I saw them hastening to the assistance of those who were struggling with all their energies to resist the evil angels. Friends, we need to take the armor of God. Do not listen to this heresy that is going around saying, you just need to let go of everything and just let God do everything. Oh no, God has given you your marching orders. He has told you what to do. When by His strength you do those things, the rest is up to God. But God will never do the work that He has told you to do for you. He expects us to wrestle because it's in the wrestling, it's in the pecking of that shell that a little tiny chick gains strength to live in the world. It's in the exertion to get out of that cocoon that that moth or butterfly is able to spread its wings and fly. And so God wants us to fight with the spiritual darkness in this world using the weapons that He has given to us using the Scriptures, struggling with all their energies and trying to help themselves by calling upon God earnest prayer with perseverance. But the angels left those who made no effort to help themselves, and I lost sight of them. As the praying ones continued their earnest cries, a ray of light from Jesus would at times come to them to encourage their hearts and light up their countenances. Friends, this is going to happen, and I pray that it happens to me and to you. I asked the meaning of the shaking I had seen and was shown that it would be caused by the straight testimony called forth 
by the counsel of the true witness, Jesus Christ, to who? The Laodiceans. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is the testimony of Jesus. The straight testimony to the Laodiceans, the Elijah message. How long are you lukewarm? Pick one. Let's finish this work and go home. This will have its effect upon the heart of the receiver and will lead him to exalt the standard and pour forth the straight truth. Some will not bear the straight testimony. They will rise up against it. And this will cause a shaking among God's people. <clears throat> Excuse me. Before the final visitation of God's judgments upon the earth, the promise is there will be among the people of the Lord such a revival of primitive godliness as has not been witnessed since apostolic times. The Spirit and the power of God will be poured out upon His children. And as we've been talking about, there first must be the straight testimony. Then there must be the demonstrated power of God upon Mount Carmel. And then repentance and reformation. And then the Holy Spirit is poured out. And so, this group of people that prays, that sighs and that cries, <clears throat> excuse me, that responds to the call to come together, to have a, a solemn assembly, to seek the Lord with all of their hearts, as it talks about in Joel chapter 2. This people that sigh and that cry because the new covenant is happening in their hearts. They must be much in prayer. We must be much in prayer if we would make progress in the divine life. When the message of truth was first proclaimed, how much we prayed. So there's no, it's no secret why Testimonies Volume 1 was able to record so many amazing revivals among God's people in the early church. Because they prayed much. Amen? Because they sought the Lord much. How often was the voice of intercession heard in the chamber, in the barn, in the orchard, or the grove? You don't have to be in church to pray. Amen? Amen. Find someone. And today, oh, if they only had smartphones. <laughs> oh, they'd be having group chat prayer texting. Amen. They'd be talking on the phone, voice conferencing, pleading with the Lord. Of course, meeting in person is ideal, and we want to do that as much as possible. And yet we have so many more opportunities. Frequently, she writes, Volume 5, we spent hours in earnest prayer, two or three together, claiming the promise. What promise? The promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of victory over sin. The promise of a Christ-like character and for doors to be opened for the for the entrance of the Advent message. They prayed, and that is why we can have this wonderful camp meeting in this state where the Adventist church was officially organized because they sought the Lord for hours frequently. Often the sound of weeping was heard in the voice of thanksgiving and the song of praise. Now, she wrote, and even now, even truer is this statement, the day of God is nearer than when we first believed. And we should be more earnest, more zealous and fervent than in those early days. Our perils are greater now than then. Souls are more hardened, exponentially more today. We need now to be imbued with the Spirit of Christ and we should not rest until we receive it. Friends, God's promise today is just as potent as it was in the first century. 
He is willing to pour out His Holy Spirit upon us. The reason why we don't see it is not because of any other reason other than our unfitness to receive it. Period. He is generous as He was in the first century. He is as powerful as, as He was back then. And the world is in more need of what He wants to do in transforming men's hearts than it ever has been before. The problem is no further than ground zero. Me and you. We need now to be imbued with the Spirit of Christ and we should not rest until we receive it. I was a seminary student back in 2003 and 2003 and I came across in my studies again, I read this verse, but Matthew 18, it says, Again I say unto you, Jesus said, If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. And I thought to myself, what I really need is the Holy Spirit. I really want the Holy Spirit. Because seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And we're told in the spirit of prophecy that if we have this gift, the Holy Spirit, every other blessing will come in its train. Whatever else that we need, it's encapsulated in the Spirit of God, in the presence of God. Jesus said, if I cast out devils by Beelzebub, then Satan is divided against himself, and a house divided cannot stand. But then he said, but if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, he said, then the kingdom of God is come to you. Therefore, using a bit of algebra, remember I like algebra. If A equals B and B equals C, then A is equal to C. And therefore, the Spirit then must be equated to the kingdom or the authority of God. Because he said, if I cast out spirits by the devils by the Holy Spirit, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So seek first the kingdom of God. So I took this text, I said, I need to be praying for the Holy Spirit. And I need to be praying with other people for the Holy Spirit. So I said, I'm going to pray regularly with people, but I'm not going to tell them I want to do it with them every single day for the rest of the school year. I'm just going to tell them it's for 10 days. And we'll see if they want to keep going. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.